Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is a lead psychotherapist and director of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy provider training at the Ames Institute. She speaks nationally and internationally about cannabis and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and is, a pas- is passionate about en- entheogenic medicine to help people find health, healing, and happiness. She's a past president of, of the board of directors for the Center for Cannabis and Social Policy, and an original member of the Women of Weed as an active member of the Washington State cannabis community. Dr. Allison Drazen, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, right out the jump, let, let's talk a little bit about where you're from originally and a little bit about your background growing up. Um, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. And um, that's um, like, we've been there like fifth generation Charlestonian, grown and raised. Um, I left because um, I sought uh, bigger and better from small town. And I moved to Philadelphia for 10 years to um, where I got my master's in art psychotherapy. Um, And then I had a practice in Philadelphia before deciding I wanted to move out west. Go west, they say. So go west. So I went West and I got my doctorate in clinical psychology out in Seattle. And um, like near the end of my doctorate, um, uh, well, I grow cannabis and um, and my neighbors knew I grew cannabis and um, they came to me. One of them came to me and said, "Um, my husband has prostate cancer. Um, Can you help me? And um, I, I was, psychologist and so I was like oh I can make you some baked goods I can make you some butter um and during my time of serving him um he would say to me you need to get this medicine to other people and this was around 2009 2008 um and so uh it was a really a powerful uh relationship that I had providing him with medicine and so I started making edibles and so I took my grandma's recipes from the South and I started a medical cannabis edible company called Edaluse. Edaluse, my grandmother was Ethel and my grandfather was Lou. And I combined their two names to get Edalou. Um, Edaluse um, edible company won multiple high times awards. And that um, got me into the medical cannabis world and the cannabis world in general, where I started traveling to different states, um, judging competitions. I started speaking on the um, speaking panel circuit for cannabis. I have spoken in Amsterdam, Mexico, and all over the country. Um, it was in, um, after medical ended in Washington state, uh, my passion was always medical. And so um, I kept a private practice on the side and when, um, when medical ended, I didn't have a place. Um, so I kind of started doing um, more um, psychotherapy until Dr. Sunil Agarwal approached me at HempFest in 2018 and said, we're opening up this clinic. It's going to be amazing. You can do whatever you want. You can do psychedelic work. You can do cannabis work. He's like, you know, the world can be your oyster. You can create what you want. And, and so what, year, I, what year was this? This was 2018. <clears throat> 
2018. Okay, I didn't hear 2018. So um, I did. And so I created a cannabis-assisted psychotherapy uh, program. And I um, learned a, a psych- how to conduct and sit for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And within two years, I became the director for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy provider training program so that I can begin to train more providers to do this psychedelic work. And um, I've been doing that for five years, and I've actually just started working with an institute in Oregon to begin training uh, professionals in, in Oregon under their new psilocybin. My course is basic counseling. But it's a it's a full um, it's a full course load um, that is approved by the state of Oregon for their psilocybin work, and we're hoping to uh, move that way in Washington State soon. Okay, now you put a lot in in one answer, so let me I got to slow you down a little bit and let's go back to the beginning again. Um, so you you <laughs> you originally born in Charleston, went west. Where where all where is all of your education come from? I went to Hahnemann Medical University in Philadelphia, and First. then that was my master's in art psychotherapy. Okay. And then I came to Washington and went to Argosy and got my doctorate in clinical psychology. Where was your undergrad? College of Charleston, and it was in sociology and studio art. Got it, got it, got it. And slow down a little bit, but tell me, okay, you went, you, you moved to California. Is that when you first started experiencing cannabis yourself on a personal level? Oh, no, no. I moved to Washington. I started using cannabis around 14. Okay. Um, And, uh, I dabbled in it. Um, um, sold a little bit, you know, um, kind of, Kind of made my way uh, to get what I needed to get living in the South where it was nearly impossible. And only thing that you could get was something out of Mexico that you weren't quite sure what it was. It probably came out of uh, Kentucky and you weren't quite sure where it was, but go right ahead. Sure. (laughs) Back then, then there was a lot of trash talked about Mexican weed that came across the border, but it was really cannabis was coming in from Tennessee and Kentucky, but go right ahead. Um, well, it, regardless, it was still gross with lots of seeds and stems, right. no matter where it came from. I didn't right. know what it was. Um, and then when I moved to uh, Philadelphia, um, I actually started dating a grower and mm-hmm. my life was like, ah, opened up to good weed. Uh, and his seeds were coming out of Amsterdam. Uh, and it was that was lovely. It was, it was like I had found something that uh, enlivened my spirit and my mind. Um, the flavor profiles, the different terpenes that I was experiencing was very different than the cannabis that I grew up with. And, and when did you start associating cannabis with therapy? I mean, you know, you were using it for yourself, but you know, you were being trained as a art uh, psychiatrist. You got your, your, Doctorate in what? Or your master's clinical in clinical psychology? I got my master's in art psychotherapy and my doctorate right. in clinical psychology. To answer your question, it wasn't until I started working with my neighbor that um, eventually passed away that I realized that this was this was not just getting high in the basement in your college dorm room anymore. This was medicine um, because I saw the way that it changed him. He was able to eat again. Um, 
And were you looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, from a physicology or a physical standpoint, you know, when you're dealing with cancers and illnesses like that, but to transition that thought process from that kind of an illness to psychotherapy, there's a little bit of a leap there. So, you know, a lot of people would have said, have said along the way and still do today that they don't see how the two correlate, but there's been science that proves it. So when did it click for you? For me, um, it clicked in my conversations with Dr. Agarwal um, of cannabis can induce an altered state of consciousness. And from the research, we know altered states of consciousness um, can allow someone to like open up their heart and open up their mind. What I like to say is that it opens up this portal in the throat um, without getting too like woo woo. It's like the throat chakra. And when you use an, um, uh, substances that put you in an altered state of consciousness, it opens up this portal so that you can um, flow from the heart to the head. And so oftentimes we find that mental health issues, whether it be depression or anxiety, that there's something that's cutting you off in this area to be able to release, to talk about. And I put together in my mind this concept of, you know, when we would sit around and, and smoke joints or get high with my friends, like it would, conversation would ensue. People would be able to be vulnerable. And so um, we tried using it. You know, I, I created a protocol for it in our office. I think that uh, the only other people doing it at the time was a group in Colorado. And so I just created our own model of, um, basing it off of how we do our psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. We just replaced the psychedelic of ketamine and use cannabis. But the were you using, wait, wait, were you using psychedelics first and then went to cannabis or was it cannabis then psychedelic? Kind of at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. I was learning about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, psychotherapy in our clinic and um, as I'm learning about it, I'm saying, how can we, we can also bring cannabis into this. We can do cannabis in the same method that we are giving someone a trochi or giving them an injection um, and we could grind up wheat or cannabis. The uh, thing that I do a little differently because of my cannabis background, um, when it comes to cannabis psychotherapy, I really work with the patient on what cultivar or strain is going to be best for the goal that we have. For some people, um, they might get high and it makes them very anxious. And so I actually like to tap into that anxiety. And so if I can tap into that anxiety in my office environment and be able to provide them with comfort and safety to help them get through that anxious moment, we can use that anxiety um, to explore what, where's the real root of that. The other hand is, is that you have people who might need to relax so that they can be able to talk and express themselves. That's a different goal. We might use a different cultivar strain for that. But I really like to be, I really like to use my cannabis knowledge and education to, um, to pair with the right goal for that particular patient. Gotcha. And, and what other benefits have you seen with cannabis when it comes to cannabis assisting in psychotherapy? It's for some people who are psychedelically naive and cannabis naive. It's a really great start to begin to um, 
relax and to begin to examine things in their lives that they may not have felt that they can do um, without the support of an altered state of consciousness. Okay. And is that the difference between utilizing cannabis and let's say ketamine or psychedelics? Ketamine or psychedelics is different. Now you can use cannabis um, as a psychedelic. Um, There are folks in Colorado and California who are using edibles and taking people on more psychedelic journeys using edibles. With cannabis. With cannabis. With cannabis. Okay, go ahead. With cannabis. So cannabis. It doesn't affect everybody the same way like that. It does not affect everyone the same way like that. But I'm actually surprised at some of my clients who are using cannabis edibles to get them into a psychedelic frame of mind. And um, it's surprising because for me personally, um, cannabis is not psychedelic. And so probably for for about 60% of the people who use it, it's not psychedelic or has been Let's look at it from a standpoint of whatever research has been done over the last 20 years. You know, there's, there's, it depends on who you talk to. You know, you can talk to Dr. Mishulam, you can talk to some people in, in Europe, you can talk to people here in the United States, and, you know, the jury's still out whether or not, you know, even 50, 60% of the people who actually consume can capably have a psychedelic reaction to cannabis. And then there are others that say that, you know, there's probably 12 to 15 percent of the population that would probably always have a psychedelic reaction to cannabis, right? I tend to see people who have the psychedelic reaction to cannabis is more the people who don't really use cannabis. There's their cannabis. Yeah, those are, they yeah, are right, there are they are a lot of baby boomers who um, now that it's legal, they want to try it. Um, they they could do five to 10 milligrams of an edible, which for me, that's like taking an Advil, Um, but they can do five to 10 milligrams and they can be shot into outer space. It's really, it's amazing. It is, it is kind of crazy because I've, I've seen people react to, to, you know, there are those who have never done cannabis at all in their life. And so their endocannabinoid system has not even been agitated or aggravated at all, agitated by, you know, plant-based cannabis. And then, you know, you give them, like you just said, even the smallest amount, boom, they're having a trip. And then there are other people, I mean, I, I could probably do, you know, 100, 150 milligrams in, in a single mm-hmm. setting and will never have a psychedelic reaction. I could, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been in a position, oh, it was one time a couple of years, well, years back that I, um, I'd been at a, uh, a shop, I won't call it a dispensary, but I was at a shop in California and um, I recall I, I uh, bought a, mm, it was like a hard candy and it said, you know, 200 milligrams. And I was like, 200 milligrams? Are you crazy? Wow, that's trip. So, you know, I was, I was getting ready to fly back across country and um, I had it in my mouth in the car ride to the airport and then got to the airport and I was going through TSA and I'm in TSA and I got this big sucker in my mouth and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> just crushed it up. <laughs> Threw the stick away, went through security, you know, did the whole thing. I went and got on the plane. And I remember, I'll never forget this because I sat down in the seat and I was like, are you kidding me? 
bang, the top of my head came off. And I like was sitting in the seat. I pulled up a blanket around me and I'll never forget the flight attendant came over to me and leaned down and said, can I help you? And I was like, <laughs> no, wait, I'm not, I got to go to sleep. I said, you know, I'm sorry, I got a really bad migraine. I'm going to go to sleep. And so I really wasn't having a psychedelic reaction. However, that was about the most extreme high that I've ever had in my life. And that was like after taking, you know, 200 milligrams at a single setting, you know, and, but, you know, for me, I can do a hundred and, and literally go right out and have a speech, do a speech and, and not miss a beat. So there are differences in people. And I guess the way they react. Absolutely. I know people who can eat a thousand milligrams and have yeah. absolutely no reaction. Um, that's a, yeah, I mean, a mystery to me. Yeah. I mean, well, and I think it has a lot to do with how much you, you know, I'm, I'm a very early boomer. Uh, uh, when it comes to cannabis, I was using cannabis when I was 13 years old. So I guess that, you know, um, it's not that blast to the endocannabinoid system that you would get if somebody had not been using. So over my lifetime, I off and on, off and on, off and on dabble with cannabis. So I think my body is, is, and I think and there are a lot of people like me, especially you were saying baby boomers. There are a lot of baby boomers who have never tried it, but there are a lot of baby boomers who remember hanging out under the bleacher in high school and, uh, you know, with their friends. And, and that's part of the reason why these days I think most of the cannabis laws are being passed because it's baby boomers who are the legislators and they remember, well, if I can be successful in life, this isn't as bad as we thought it was. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I usually tell people if you get to that point where it is very uncomfortable and you don't want to be in that space, orange juice or lemonade, um, right. has been found to mitigate the effects of the THC. And so, you know, you get some CBD. CBD can really, can bring you down. If you, if you literally are having one of those bad experiences, you know, you can, you can, if you can load up yourself with, you know, 100, 200, 300 milligrams of CBD, it'll take that edge right off the top too, I think. It now, can't, well, so the thing with, uh, so Dr. Ethan Russo has said that actually drinking, using Using orange juice or lemonade works faster because the CBD still has to metabolize in your gut right. before right. it can balance out that THC. Whereas like um, limonene, which is which you find in orange juice or lemonade, right. or pinene, which is pistachio or pine nuts, will do it like that. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. I, I, I you know, I, I'm guessing that you were an avid traveler to Amsterdam and I can recall many uh, sessions in Amsterdam and coffee houses. And for me, I got to tell you, just a real blasted quick guzzle of some, uh, and I, I won't use a brand name, but guzzle of a soda, you know, um, we used to also take that edge off and bring it right down. But then 20, 30 seconds, you would like could regroup, you know what I mean? But then again, everybody is different. Uh, so uh, how uh, how popular is your therapy uh, that you're doing now? You're doing both ketamine and cannabis, but do people prefer one or the other? Uh, it just depends. <laughs> some, some people like to start with cannabis, but I'm going to say that um, depending upon your issues is really where I start with. And the majority of the people that come to see me are really um, people who are extremely depressed or extremely anxious. We are booked out months. Um, we're actually about to open up a new office because the uh, of supply and demand. Uh, people want to be well. 
and my goal has always been very solutions oriented. So I really like the fact that supporting someone with the psychedelic therapy in a matter of a couple sessions, they can have um, amelioration of their symptoms. And right. Are you, are you doing all forms of psychedelics? Are you doing ayahuasca, psilocybin, ketamine together? All, so, all of them just want to. In our clinic, we can only do ketamine at this time. However, right. we do have another uh, one of the directors is currently applying um, to the federal government to do a study on ayahuasca in our clinic. And we have our clinic just sued the DEA under the Right to Try Act to right. uh, use psilocybin with end of life clients. So our and is to are you noticing that? Oh, well, are you noticing a difference in all three of those individual psychedelics? Are they as different as, let's say, cannabis is to psychedelic? I mean, explain that. They're all different. You know, I, I mean, and it really depends on what you're looking for and what your goals are. So I really like ketamine, especially for people who are suicidal or extremely depressed, because it gets in and it, it really uh, ameliorates those symptoms very rapidly. It's also um, uh, an hour and a half to an hour commitment. When it comes to, say, like MDMA, I find MDMA is great for like relationship issues or like communication with partner issues. But MDMA seems to have a little bit longer of a, of a, a session, but it also can come back at you two days later, which I, I that one is one I, I you know, I, I've questioned MDMA. And I, I know that we have been trying for 30 years to figure out how to continuously use something. But, you know, there is a time kind of sometimes I think, you know, time will tell whether or not that was a good idea to begin with. I, I, I don't happen to buy things that are psychic that are as synthetic, even, you know, a ketamine, good drug. However, you know, it's something that we synthesize. I'm not necessarily sure if we have the real do we have the real receptors to accept that? Whereas nature has given us receptors for things like psilocybin and ayahuasca. I don't know. I, I just say that, but what do you think? There's actually a, um, there's actually a study that was found that um, uh, in tapeworms, they have found ketamine that was produced naturally. Right. And so there is, while we don't use it out of tapeworms, uh, there is, it has been found naturally. I totally hear what you're saying. And yeah, I, and I, I, can, I, can, I can understand tapeworms because it's a, invasive parasite that has to hide so therefore it 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 gives you little bursts of this like micro doses you in a way that makes you not care about your gut That's so exactly right. therefore it can stay there until it gets 16 feet long and, and you're uh, basically in, you're pain-free uh, right you you're pain-free from having that thing in your stomach right right yeah, right um i uh i totally hear what you're saying and i totally agree with you I personally, uh, I prefer things of the earth. I prefer uh, something that grows in the ground, just like cannabis, just like fungi. However, when it comes to healing and it has to do with time and it has to do with um, efficacy, uh, I have seen uh, amazing results. I would say at least 90% efficacy in my clients over the past five years with ketamine. Now, some of them will start with ketamine and then we'll switch over to doing microdosing. Um, I also right. support um, people who are microdosing. I cannot supply them 
with the psilocybin, but if they procure it on their own, I will support them in finding the right sweet spot that we call it. I will process it. I will do integration work. Um, I, I, I also like, we're, we're talking about synthetics again, like, you know, there's LSD, but L- people find that LSD is also very helpful in the same way that MDMA is. Yeah. And, and, but I think that this is something that, again, we're in this, this, this weird gray world right now where, you know, it, I, I don't know, to me, I think maybe I'll ask you, does it surprise you at how quickly, you know, the medical world has embraced the idea of, yes, there might be something behind psychedelics versus the last 40 years of them, last 80 years of them fighting, 90 years of them fighting cannabis. It's like, it's just so strange to me that you'd accept this, but you won't accept this. And this has been around for 5,000 years. So has the psychedelics for thousands of years. However, it just throws me that, you know, there are, you know, even a friend of mine who is Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who um, literally, I think, literally, literally helped to, in a way, more legitimize cannabis in the specials that he did. I think he definitely uh, legitimized medical cannabis for a lot of folks. Absolutely. But, you know, most people don't remember and don't remember the, and, and forget completely the fact that, you know, Dr. Gupta was such an adamant you know, antagonist to cannabis mm-hmm. before, you know, I literally, I, I did a, I did a, a, uh, appearance with him on, uh, the old Pierce Morgan show. And I literally called him out and challenged him when he was making statements that were just so erroneous about cannabis. I said, dude, how can you be a doctor and not even understand that your own government is who's paid for the research for cannabis for the last 40 years? How can you do this? I mean, I understand, I don't understand how you could even say the things that you were saying he then went on to do his first special on cannabis and actually turned his, his uh, literally, you know, changed his mind. I, we went back together on Pierce Morgan and he apologized to me for having, you know, have, having put out some of the bad information. And then we had a conversation about that, about the fact to me, you know, I said to him, and I say it all the time, and I'm literally, you can try me. I've, I've been involved in cannabis now for the last 21 years. Um, started, I came out when I got, uh, you know, outed by the press back in 2001, um, and had been discussing cannabis at all for now 22 years. And thrown by the fact that I was thrown even in his first special that he was so heavily reliant on just CBD. And I was like, dude, you got to stop with this because you're sending people down a rabbit hole that's a wrong rabbit hole. Um, CBD is great. However, there are so many other cannabinoids. We understand now for a fact that there are, you know, depending on who you listen to, whether you go to Israel, you go to Canada, you go to Africa, you know, everybody has their own sweet spot in numbers. You know, Canadians believe there's like 250 plus, you know, we here in the United States are still lying and saying there's only 60. Well, that's a straight up lie. And then, you know, uh, uh, um, in around the world, they're saying that number is somewhere between 200 and 275 cannabinoids that actually have a therapeutic purpose. We just haven't caught up with the research for it yet. And so to say that CBD is the end to all is like saying that, you know, penicillin is the end to all. We know it's not. We know that we know there are certain, you know, uh, bacteria and thing that require a heavier hitting antibiotic. 
Well, so, CBD is just one one molecule, and in order for CBD to even be effective, you have to have it activated by THC. Absolutely, and yeah, probably, and you know, they, then people don't even understand that there's an acid version of every single one of these things. So you have CBDA that's probably more is going to end up probably being more powerful than regular CBD if we figure out a good way to extract it without destroying it before we get it through the process. Well, what about so, a whole plant? What about like just accepting the whole plant? Absolutely, absolutely, and then and then looking at the whole plant. And nature did a great job, but. If we understand all the components of that plant, we can manipulate some of those additional molecules, raising their levels to even have a greater impact. You know, I mean, I think, you know, we've gotten all caught up in the cannabinoids and and thrown out in some cases, though I know a lot of different dispensaries and people around the country are now starting to extol the virtues of terpenes, flavonoids. You know, that you're right. It's the whole plant. And now, you know, once you either extract or change the delivery system in a way that makes it more palatable for some, you can actually increase some of those other little numbers to get a better effect. So um, yes. now, again, let's go back to just your, I mean, how many patients do you think your, your uh, place is seeing on an annual basis? Hundreds, hundreds. Um, we are booked up. We're booked up months in advance. I've got people that come to our clinic. I am seeing, you know, a gentleman from California. Um, they come to us from Kentucky, New Hampshire, uh, all over the yeah. country. While we're talking that way, right now, why don't you throw out some stats? Where would people go if they wanted to get more information? Uh, AmesInstitute.net, www.amesinstitute.net. And if they wanted to find you, same place? Same place. Um, I'm also on Instagram at um, Dr. Allison D with one L. Okay. And so when you, when you, these people that are reaching out, when they, how do you determine which, what is the mode of action that you're going to take with them? How do you determine whether or not we'll start you off with cannabis and start you off with ketamine? Or we'll start it's a you conversation. Off with it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it starts in the initial conversation. What we always do is we, we do a medical evaluation first to see if someone has any sort of issues that might even preclude them from using cannabis or psychedelics or ketamine. Usually it's uh, the medical pieces. It's like if they have any major cardiac issues, we'd have to get like um, confirmation from their cardiologist or just, you know, uh, make sure that their heart is healthy because oftentimes psychedelics and cannabis can um, raise your heart rate a little bit. And, and so, your blood pressure a little bit, right? A little bit. And so bit. once um, they've gone through the medical evaluation, then they come in for a mental health evaluation with one myself or one of the other clinicians on our team. And because we're an integrative medical clinic, we have naturopathic doctors, we have nurse practitioners, we have RNs, and we also have psychotherapists and psychologists. And so it depends like where you might end up for your mental health evaluation. If you say have cancer, you could end up speaking to one of the naturopaths because then they, what they might do is combine some of the work that they do. We have a naturopath that he's uh, an alchemist and he makes tinctures. And so he might want to combine some of these plant-based tinctures with either cannabis assisted psychotherapy or with this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. 
we have another naturopath that also specializes in mental health. And so she can be able to um, work with people so that maybe she can help them find a natural remedy for an antidepressant so that they don't have to take their, the typical SSRIs or psychotropic medication. And then she might work with them to do ketamine assisted psychotherapy or cannabis assisted psychotherapy. It's what do you what do you, th- what do you think of the fact that I'm, I'm telling you now all over the country in gas stations on highways you can find products that claim to and we don't know exactly how they've been formulated but they claim to have microdose capability of uh, certain psychedelics in them I know in the state of New York it's all over the place right now it's rampant I you can go great. to local plastic, huh well I think it's great but I also think it's a little on the dangerous side don't you that's what I'm saying is I I would be afraid um, I'm really careful what I put in my body. And after going through um, the whole rise of cannabis legalization and seeing how people adulterate products for profits, I would be very worried about what I'm picking up at a gas station and making sure that it doesn't have uh, carcinogens in it, or it's not stuffed with something that could be um, more dangerous than the process of, you know, doing something I mean, I'm, I'm the, the carcinogens are my least of my worry. I, I will tell you, I, I have, um, I can remember as a child, um, I literally was at a party. This is where, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. So I'm, I'm, you know, a child of the, I was born in the fifties, child of the sixties, you know, school in the seventies and, and move on. And, um, this must've been, I, I'm pretty positive. I can't, you know, it, it, this is how my, how it really affected me. In such a piss poor way. Um, I think I was in late tenth grade. You know, I went to one of those those you know parents out of town parties at a house. Um, and way back then, people don't remember this. Uh, maybe there are some people who are watching that will remember this because you know our age group was the ones who were you know we were literally just assaulted with you know those little micro dots that were little stamps that were. Um, cartoon characters, and um, LSD? oh yeah, uh, LSD and um, blotter, yeah. the little blotter squares. And you know they they used to sell them on they they people at a party would just tear off a little strip and you'd have like you know Daffy Duck or something. A little Daffy oh, Duck yeah. was LSD, and I I will remember I didn't realize it until after the fact that somebody had dosed me, and. Um, right, right before I started a really ugly trip, I realized I had been dosed and I'm going to tell you, um, I'll never forget this in life because I recall, you know, over time, certain things came back to me, little things came back, but not all of the entire experience. I, I can even to the day still remember distinctly, you know, being at the party, having left the party. And the next thing you know, I'm walking down the middle of a highway. And then the next thing you know, I was sitting on uh, outside of somebody's house on the roof with a friend of mine who had been dosed also. We were up on the roof and it was like, you know, I, I remember the dosing probably took place at about nine o'clock at night, nine at nine thirty at night. And it was seven o'clock in the morning when you know, I was sitting on the roof. You're watching the garbage pick up the garbage. Huh? You're probably watching the garbage men. You're probably watching the garbage men come pick up the garbage that early in the morning. I, I could have been. I don't tell you, but I, I do remember distinctly one uh, one session, one part of that 
walking down the middle of a very, 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 very active, it was like a not highway of today. It was a highway of yesterday where so it was a two or three lane road and I was walking right down the middle of that. And I fortunately, I remember somebody came and grabbed me and took me to the side of the road. And like, you know, I think they even threw me down. And, um, you know, uh, little flashes of things came in and out and come in and out. And I, it was such a such a, a really bad experience that it wasn't until mm, a few years later <laughs> I, I ended up having another experience with psychedelics, mescaline, as a matter of fact. Um, no, peyote. Um, uh, I was in the middle of the desert with some friends. And, um, you know, I really recall, I just remember that this was not the best experience of my life because, you know, I woke up in the morning and there were maybe two couples and everybody was, uh, you know, not dressed. So there were a lot of things that happened that night that, uh, I think none of us ever, none of us ever spoke to each other about again. You know what I mean? So, um, but nowadays, again, um, I know in, in New York state, um, I've seen it myself. Uh, there are gas stations that are carrying products that claim to be, you know, ayahuasca. Who knows if that's what it is. Um, and they even have on a packet, like, you know, these mushrooms are, 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 uh, you know, to be microdose, and they give you this one piece of this, two pieces of this, the whole package is this. It's like, you know, excuse me, who the hell is making this stuff? Um, I would highly question that. You know, it's it's not something I personally would take, and it was not something I would suggest that my friends take. Right. Yeah, so, but that's wild that it's in gas stations. That's it is in gas stations. You can you can find it in different areas of the state of New York, um, you can say Manhattan, you can find it quite without even looking. I, mean, I can little... only hope that it's safe. That, that's my, my greatest is hope. And, but then the other concern is that is, is if that these negative products or potentially negative products are on the shelf and that there's some sort of reaction. My always concern is, is, is the government going to try to jump in and regulate um, because yeah, it's like, it's like THC eight. You know what I mean? Delta uh, like, eight. You know, yeah. The Delta People are, are, are pushing, you know, CBD using under the kitchen sink chemicals to do so, to push it to a Delta eight. And, you know, so far I have probably talked to maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 different people who all seem to have entirely different reactions to Delta eight. And that says enough to me to tell people that, you know, this is something that you don't want to be playing with. And it is exactly what you're saying to me gives the DEA an excuse to come down on our heads as an industry. Um, I, you know, I'm not a fan for a lot of these um, manufactured cannabinoid products. Just give me good old hash. Give me good old hash. You know, hand rolled hash, old school. Maybe look might look a little brown, but it, it tastes like cannabis. Um, it's not made with anything but your hands, or it's made with water. When it starts to become needing to be synthesized with centrifuges and and all kinds of, that's when you lose me. I you know, I I like the whole plant. Give me you know, give me a blunt, give me a joint. Um, but I like, I like that whole plan. I don't, I don't like the pieces all, all taken apart, especially because I do worry about what the government will do when they see, you know, Delta eight, the evil Delta eight, look, it's, it's mm -hmm. making people act crazy and, you know, THCO. 
THCO, uh, you know, all, all of it just, uh, maybe I'm old school, but it, it's, it's a little much. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't understand why, if it, if it wasn't broken for 5,000 years, why do we think we have to fix it now? I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about distillate too. I'm not a fan of distillate. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it hot dog water because it's, um, it's a bastardized version of just THC with some flavor thrown in. And it's like, why not just smoke the real thing? All right. Gotcha. Now is cannabis therapy, is that starting to be accepted in your profession? It, I wouldn't say the American Psychological Association accepts it, <laughs> but I do know that there's a lot more clinics. Um, there's a lot more. Um, there are actual um, institutes that have popped up teaching people. Uh, the Somatic Institute I'm aware of that is teaching people to use cannabis to work with their clients from a somatic perspective. And I know that there's, like I said, there's clinics in Colorado. There's a gentleman, um, uh, Daniel McQueen, uh, his book called Breaking the Gate, where he talks about using cannabis-assisted psychotherapy. So it's still in the infancy stages at this point. And I don't think that any uh, any uh, counseling association or psychological association is going to even um, entertain this as a viable modality until that there's changes on the federal level. Gotcha. But and now I am seeing across the board and, and even I do a lot of work with our veterans and, and have been in a lot of discussions. You know, the, the VA is literally looking at, you know, psychedelics as treatment for PTSD. And we do recognize that psychedelics seems to have a almost immediate effect on those who have heroin addiction um, as an exit drug for heroin. Uh, we also know cannabis can be an exit drug for heroin if used the right way. Um, what do you think uh, the community is looking at? How do you think the community is looking at ketamine and psychedelics? Um, ketamine, from my experience, is really wonderful for addiction. I have seen it with clients who have alcohol and tobacco issues that um, no longer use alcohol or tobacco. I was also going to piggy bank. There's a, there's a doctor here working at the VA in um, Washington state that has been using ketamine with um, veterans and with, which with great success. And uh, I've worked with veterans as well with great success, uh, especially combat veterans who have issues. I have a, I have a combat veteran coming in on Friday and it's, it really, while the, while the psychedelics will put like a wet blanket over the emotions and the intensity of the trauma from the past, you don't ever forget it. It's the same with like sexual trauma or abuse. Um, but what but, 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 you do, here I was going to help you. I'm not helping you, but I'll throw this out to you. You should look up, and get as much information as you can on a protocol that's called RTM. RTM, Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories. It's a protocol that just now received evidentiary medicine status from the ISTSS. Um, literally been studied now at Walter Reed, at uh, King's College. State of New York utilized it for first responders from 9-11. State of New Mexico used it for first responders that are just you know burned out. Uh, California has used it for firefighters it is 90 percent efficacious and what has RTM? been what did it say called rtm reconsolidation of traumatic memories created by dr frank bork b-o-u-r-k-e you can find it rtm.com 
uh, on uh, just by looking it up right now. It literally has been considered that this past year, the ISTSS at their international forum accepted it and uh, discussed it as being, you know, probably one of the only modality or I'm sorry, one of the only protocol cures for PTSD. Nine out of every 10 patients who have gone through it have remitted almost 100% of their symptoms in less than 10 hours. And there's no medication involved in it at all. Right now, it is actually, we just trained clinicians in Poland and the UK, I'm sorry, Poland and Ukraine, and they've now asked for another 150 uh, uh, clinicians to be trained in the protocol. And it can be even done virtually. That's um, fantastic. So, I'm totally so going to look that up and, and and investigate that further because like we do see quite a few veterans in our practice that are looking for some relief. And I'm almost- Well, the thing, the thing that's so good about it is that what it does for the veteran is amazing, but what it does for all forms of PTSD is kind of like Star Wars. Um, they've found the same efficaciousness in you know childhood sexual trauma, childhood accidental trauma, those kinds of things that it seems to completely ameliorate all symptoms within 10 hours. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I, you know, maybe I'll have my, my office maybe send you a link to some of that. I, I happen to be working very closely with the doctor that created it. I just spent some time this last week at the, the uh, home base that's uh, run by, you know, the Mass General and the um, Boston Red Sox and the U.S. military because it's one of the four centers that are the new centers of excellence for uh, hidden or invisible wounds for our soldiers. But this thing works not only for combat PTSD, it works for trauma. In Poland, they are actually using it for some of the civilian victims who are so traumatized by this war in Ukraine right now that are going into Poland trying to find refuge. This thing is, in five to ten hours, is completely knocking it out. Please do. I would like to learn more about it so that I can support my patients. Absolutely. It's a, and you know I'm 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 right now been been really digging hard and working really hard because I mean but again the problem with with medicine in America is that anything that's transformative <laughs> is normally met with the most vehement and adamant resistance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Fight it rather than because it's, it's taking away somebody's little bailiwick. And People are fearful of what they don't know. And like, it's interesting to me how um, it's almost like that. I don't want to say our government, but governments don't want their constituents to be well. And um, well, I come on, there's a cottage industry that's been built in the last 10 years around PTSD. And that cottage industry was waiting for something like the pandemic. And it's, it's, I don't think they built it thinking the pandemic was coming. But we do understand right now that, you know, somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of the people who spent more than two days in the hospital for COVID are suffering from some form of PTSD. Absolutely. We put people in rooms, you know, covered in plastic and had space people come in to see them in their, what they thought perceived as their dying days. And so, you know, we went through a period of time with the patients that was ridiculous, but we also went through the same thing with some of our first responders. I mean, you know, anywhere from I 35 have clients who yeah. come to me with um, mask phobias now, that, right. they, that they have these phobias of, of, of not being able to breathe. And right. um, I've had to work with them. Uh, imagine like being in the height of the pandemic and being a nurse and having um, feeling claustrophobic with a mask on. 
And, but how about being a nurse and watching people die? 20 like, people die, 15 people die in a day. Not when you help them. Um, Correct. It's, it's awful. You know, I mean, I worked during, during the pandemic. So, you know, I was working with first responders um, and trying to provide them with therapy as well as, you know, supporting my other clients who were just dealing with the crisis of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, now, you know, when adult use becomes legal and it's becoming legal in the majority of the country, in certain markets, medical programs uh, start to suffer. What's your take on medical cannabis program, let's say, in Washington State? There is no medical cannabis program in Washington State. I mean, it's um, I would say the Department of Health would tell you that it's here. But we um, were one of the first to legalize. And in doing so, our medical cannabis program definitely suffered. We did not, there were no rules or regulations on uh, no heavy metals and no pesticides. So it wasn't until April of last year that they finally passed a bill that um, requiring pesticide testing and heavy metal testing. We've been legal for almost 10 years prior to that. Why would patients um, want to use cannabis that has pesticides and heavy metals. The only thing that I see that patients were getting in our what was what's left of our medical cannabis program is they get 10% off, which is like the sales tax. And then they have to register with the state. Do they not allow for a higher doses level of THC in the medical pro no? No. There it literally is they get 10% off and they have to register with the state. Um, in order to get that 10% off. And then if they're lucky, they're, the bud tender maybe knows which uh, companies are have already been pesticide-free and already um, heavy metal tested. I actually was keeping a list of those companies in my office because when people would come to me with cancer and they would tell me, oh, well, I went to my local dispensary and I'm using this you know, cultivar, I'd be like, did you know that there's no pesticide or heavy metal testing? They had no idea. And so I would guide them to, to brands that I knew were, um, most of them were from medical cannabis days that had switched over into the, the legal market and had maintained that level of, um, uh, of high standards. But it's, I would say that in our, our, our legal, you know, adult use market, it's taken over and there um, it's very far and few between. We have like a handful of dispensaries that still do cater to medical cannabis patients. All of their bud tenders are knowledgeable about terpenes, cannabinoids, whole plant medicine, but the majority of them are not. Gotcha. Will you talk a little bit about some of the positive outcomes that you've achieved with utilizing cannabis in your practice? Patient, I yeah, you don't have to give me a name, but you know I've, what I mean. I have seen people go from sad and depressed to having the brightest affect, to finding joy in their life, to finding patience in working with their family members or being a part of a family. I've seen parents find shifts in in um, being able just to be present for their children. And it's uh, it's really lovely being on my side of, of the, the computer or on my side of the of the room where I see these patients that go from they come in and their faces are forlorn to like bright and like light in their eyes. And that's why I love what I do, because I can I help them heal 
And it's, it's, I, I have a little friend, whether it's cannabis or whether it's ketamine or other forms of psychedelics to help them achieve that goal of finding joy and happiness. And that's why I like doing what I do. Super. Now, is this covered by insurance these days in certain places like in, in your state? Part of our process is covered by insurance. Our medical evaluation, our psyche eval, our prep sessions, as well as integration therapy is covered by insurance. The experience is not. Oh, wow. So when you say the integration, that's not the experience? No, the integration is what happens after the experience to begin to bring into the here and now what happened during their journey. Okay. Now, do you think, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that this should be covered by insurance? I do. I do. And I know that what we try to do is we give super bills to some of our clients and we have found that um, regions or some of the blues um, tend to be more open to um, reimbursement um, with, with extra legwork on the client's part. I, I see ketamine assisted psychotherapy potentially being um, paid for by insurance in the, in the near future. Uh, I know that there's a lot of, of work being done with politicians and lobbies, lobbyists to, to do that, but it's, it's, it's always going to be a battle. Yeah, I did notice that uh, recently Sanjay Gupta just did, and I guess he's got it on his uh, blog or on his um, podcast. He's done a podcast about the efficaciousness of psychedelics in treating. So, Maybe he'll help, uh, you know, turn some minds around again. I, I, I welcome that. He's, he's helped out quite a bit, even though he's, he had to change his mind. Um, I think a lot of people trust him. So it's right. nice to have right. him on the side of health and wellness. Absolutely. Well, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think that I have been um, pretty forthright with everything. And my, my passions mm -hmm. about cannabis and psychedelics is healing medicine. And I appreciate you giving this platform to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And again, throw out the website that people can go to if they want to hear more information. www.aimsinstitute.net. And that's A-I-M-S-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E.net. -I, -I, -E I hope I spelled institute correctly. But it's aimsinstitute.net. So thank you very much. Perfect. Absolutely. No, thank you, Dr. Dresden. And I'm, uh, you know, again, at any time you want to come back, you want to share more, we'd love to have you. It was a great conversation we've had today. And, you know, I know that my listeners and viewers are going to be psyched at hearing what you have to say. Hey, how about just one more thought? I mean, do you think, you know, we've seen, again, it's taken really mm, 16 years to get us to this point. I, I'm sorry. It's taken us... <laughs> 90 years ago at this point when it comes to cannabis. But since eh, about you know 2008, nine, we started seeing the movement start to change and people started accepting it. How long do you think it's going to be before you know the we get some national movement on the legalization of therapies like psychedelic therapies across the board? I think it's going to take a little while. I say at least, you know, five to 10 years before what I'm doing is more widely accepted. Uh, I think that there's a lot of other issues going on politically that tend to supersede what, uh, you know, 
I'm not going to get into the political conversation, but you know, there's a lot of things that need rectified. And I think that we are just providing relief for people, especially when dealing with political issues. And so one of the the biggest things that needs to be rectified is getting pharma out of the pockets of a lot of our Congress and Senate so that we can actually utilize things that they don't necessarily have to approve. That's, you know, as long as we we have an FDA, you know, I thousand percent uh, agree that big pharma is going to be stopping this because big pharma doesn't want people to get well. Correct. They want them to be sick. You know, I've got clients who are no longer taking SSRIs and big pharma doesn't want that. They want all these people addicted to the Wellbutrins and the Prozacs and the Xanax. And, yep. and so it's money for them. And, uh, and, yep. and only until we can get people to like really focus on health and wellness and want to put aside those medicines and say goodbye to big pharma is, is when we'll win. I mean, I've, I've been seeing that right now when it comes to the RTM protocol. This is a protocol that is accepted worldwide, but here in the United States, they're fighting it because it doesn't come with a big pharmaceutical price tag. I mean, this is something that's done without any pharmaceuticals whatsoever. Even I'm not even, I'm not knocking it, but it's done without any cannabis, though a cannabis can help it. Um, they don't need cannabis. They, they, this is a protocol that literally works on its own. So please look it up and make I sure absolutely it's really, will. Come through. you can share that with them. Please send it to me. Um, I'm really interested in this because like okay. I said, we see a lot of people with trauma and I, I, I want to give them whatever tools that I have to help them um, become happy and, and, and healthy. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We've been talking to Dr. Allison Drazen, who, is a psychotherapist who utilizes ketamine and cannabis in her practice to help patients overcome whatever their issues are. And it seems to be working. So I got to thank you so much for being a part of the show today. And I want to thank you at home for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also. So please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.